Hello, I'm Deborah Francis White, and you're listening to Keeping Up with NZ. So I'm a feminist, but I do still really enjoy a Sean Connery Bond movie. Oh. It's hard not to. Because when you watch back, he's terrible to the ladies. <laughs> terrible. Well, really I'm, terrible. I'm a feminist, but I sometimes fantasise about being sexually dominated by famous fictitious misogynist Don Draper from Mad Men. <laughs> and truly believe if I met him, I could make him whole and heal his pain. My mum always felt that she could fix John Lennon as well. I mean... She was always like... Fixing a broken man. Yeah. What a feminist activity. <laughs> it isn't. It really isn't. You can't do it. Stop. <laughs> Uh, I'm Ingrid from Keeping Up With NZ. Welcome to Keeping Up With NZ Meets. Um, I'm here with Deborah Francis White, and we're here just to have a chat about the Guilty Feminist podcast, the hugely successful Guilty Feminist podcast. And Deborah, you also are writer, screenwriter, comedian, podcaster. Um, could you tell me a little bit about how your career ended up leading down the podcast route and where the Guilty Feminist podcast came from? Yes, completely. Well, I always say that a podcast is radio that nobody stops you making, Ingrid. And the normal channels are, of course, closed down to women in the main. And I was told there was no more room for female com- comedy. There was no... When you pitch for TV or radio, they'd say, we've already got a female-driven project and 492 male ones. So that that's the balance that we're looking for. So podcasting is amazing because you can just record it, put it on the internet, and if an audience emerges, then you have something popular. And I think with The Guilty Feminist, a lot of the success of it is that women are thirsty. Women and people of minority genders are thirsty. There's just not a lot of content made for us and by us. And when it is, it's generally sort of messed about with all it's 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 fettered if you will so this is unfettered comedy (laughs) entertainment but also activism and genuine discussion about what makes us irate or what should make us irate that we don't even know about and then what can we do to use that anger or those feelings of uh, injustice and what are the tools have we got comedy is a great tool to get people to see things in a different way so it's been a really joyful project Mm -hmm. and one that's continuing to grow i should just say uh, the background noise of our solo audience member is young orson who's six months old orson is adorable so he's just kind of you're adorable observing what's going on so yeah that's our background noise (gasps) yes well done and he does look a lot like orson wells the famous (laughs) film director currently uh because he's got the same chubby cheeks yeah but then orson wells did a look like a lot like a baby so I can see why you went there. It's going to work. You came out and you went, this kid looks like Orson Welles. He was actually, um, Orson Welles was a, a secondary thought to Mort Calling Orson. Oh. <laughs> Mort and Mindy. Uh, we oh, actually, Mort Calling another- Orson. Mort Calling Orson. Come in, yeah. Orson. Oh, yeah. yes. So actually, well, I, I think what you've got there is pretty cute. Anyway, so he's our background noise slash cheerleader. So following on from your sold out shows across New Zealand, in Wellington you had Emily Wrights as a guest. That's right, yes. So that was a rock and roll show, that show. It was at the TSB Arena, and so there were like 2,000 people there. And it was a, a wild show. They, the audience yeah. went ballistic. And Emily Wrights is so funny. Yeah, she's so And nice. she was talking about uh, being kept up all night by her baby. She was talking about something like called uh, the Satisfier Pro 2, which was, it's like a vibrator. But, I've read about it, yeah. Uh, but it's more of a suction option than a vibrating option. 
and she brought a couple to demonstrate oh, and as gifts. Yes, we demonstrated demonstrate. on the microphone. Oh, it was right. <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Well, yeah, the live audience also yeah. can see it. Um, not not demonstrated in any kind of no. uh, after hours way, and no. it was brilliant. Yeah, she is a phenomenal talent. And the Wellington audience, can I tell you, they know how to bring a rock concert to a podcast recording. Well, I saw that. I think I saw the pictures on um, social media, and it just looked huge. It was wonderful. Um, yeah, Emily's book, Rants in the Dark, I got given at mm. my baby shower for my first baby. Um, so that was quite good. Um, and then she did the stage play of the book. Yes, she and said it's touring. I went to that when I was pregnant with him. So I've had like babies around just mm. when all that stuff's been happening, and that was a brilliant show because. I was very teary and pregnant. I cried the minute the lights went down because I just needed to cry anyway. But one of the reasons, which you'll appreciate, is that the audience was pretty much 100% female with a lot of pregnant people. And you never have loads of pregnant people in a room together and loads of women in a room together in an audience like that. And well, you that's experience the thing. that. That's the regularly. thing. Uh, the guilty feminist is yeah, 80. Ian, do you want to put him in the pram? Because he's going to go to sleep now. I'm sorry, baby. You're being a bit too noisy. I'm a feminist, but I apologise for bringing my baby into the interview. Sorry, so we were talking about having that um, all-female female audience. Yes, uh, if you come along to a Guilty Feminist show, there's plenty of cisgendered men there, but it is predominantly, I'd say, 80% uh, women and people of minority genders. And it's a real celebration because it's it, it's the opposite of what you'll find in lots of other environments in life. Uh, it's joyful, it's tribal, it's gorgeous, and everyone feels welcome. We have lots of lots of cis men coming along, and they have a great time. Yeah, and I always like the interactions that you get to have if they're front row. Yes, that's <laughs> that that can be fun. But men always do sit in the front row, and they always make eye contact with me, and then I start asking them questions, and it's it's a lot of fun. Are they always quite um, open to the questions? Yeah. They're quite happy to. If, if they've come to the guilty feminist and they're sitting in the front row, I always go on who makes eye contact. And if I sometimes have spoken to someone, I mean, it's not a massively interactive show where we're talking to people in the audience, but sometimes during the warm-up, I'll have a little banter with someone. And it's, it, it, it's always the men who want to be talked to that you end up talking to. Yeah. I think once I talked to a man who, he was just rabbit in the headlights. He didn't mean to look at me. He just did. <laughs> and I worked that out really quickly and moved on. Okay. No, I would never want them to make anyone feel uncomfortable. If they're there to play yeah. and they'll have a little play with me, that's great. But also, the audience are always so thrilled they've come. Yeah. The bar is very low for men, that's what you have to realise. <laughs> I was talking to a man the other day and he said he was a primary school teacher and he was at a feminist show and he'd brought his mum and everyone was like, oh my <laughs> God. And I was like, I know, it's almost like he's picked up his own baby. It's so, it's at your people's ovaries were hurting and I was like, so then I did a little poll to see how many women in the audience had brought their mums or were primary school teachers or both. And loads. Yeah. Loads. But no one was going, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, you are an incredible human being because <laughs> you teach five-year-olds and have a mother and would be happy to sit next to her. But if it's a man, everyone's like, you are a saint. That's why I say a man can't really be a guilty feminist. He can only be a smug feminist. Yeah. Because a, a man will tell you that he's a feminist the way he tells you he's done the washing up. <laughs> and like I'm a feminist. High fives all round. So you've got lots of strings to your bow. Screenwriting, writing, presenting, lecturing. Is it lecturing or presenting? How would you? Um, I deliver seminars for seminars. something between a TED Talk and a stand-up show. Okay, cool. Um, and obviously stand-up. Do you have a sort of preferred 
art form that you like to work in or is the variety of work that you do part of who you are and what drives you to continue doing what you do? I love the variety of it, but I really love doing The Guilty Feminist and I really love writing scripts. And I'm writing a script at the moment, can't announce it yet, that is very, very exciting and it's thrilling and gripping and you can't, can't wait to keep writing it. So, yeah, it's a balance. I made a film called Say My Name, yeah. and which is on iTunes, and yeah. it's uh, a very exciting thing to get to write things in your bedroom and then see them come alive on a set. So that's wonderful. But The, the Guilty Feminist has a special place in my heart, of course. Yeah. And on the film part, I loved your piece of stand-up that you did about the film industry and, and how long... I think that was a recent podcast you did with the Women in Movies part, um, how long it takes to to get a script made, but also the female experience within Hollywood and meetings that you had and the amazing uh, things that people came out with. So I highly recommend people check out that episode of The Guilty Feminist, which I think is called Women in Movies, was it? If you go to guiltyfeminist.com and scroll back a few episodes, you'll see one where we're talking about women in film. So that's a really great one, especially if you want to get into the industry and hear a bit about the challenges and success that you can have there. So I'm a mother of two boys. You've met one of them. But there's a lot of aspects about life as a man that can be quite troubling. Um, And how do you think we can best raise boys to compensate for the often toxic messages that they might receive about what it is to be a man um like how do you raise feminist boys and men well I actually have a whole episode on this and it's called raising feminist boys and I went into a school and talked to some teenage boys and it was absolutely incredible how intelligent they were how emotionally intelligent they were how switched on they were how open to converse they were and I think both girls and boys can experience messaging about what's appropriate for them, what they should do, what they shouldn't do, how they should manage their emotions, how they should manage their burgeoning sexual orientations. Uh, And you know what? We're all boys and girls. And as teens grow up to some of them find they're non-binary, everybody is getting these same messages. So I don't think it's just about focusing on... boys are broken how can we fix boys in the same way that we used to behave like girls were broken how can we fix girls so they could be more like boys I think we should be raising all children to live with compassion and kindness and develop skills of leadership and power and to take their own space but also be very aware of other people's spaces and I think if we do that then we are going to be raising a really incredible generation. And look at the generation coming up. Look at them. Mm. Look at the Greta Thunberg generation. My God, those kids are on top of it. They're so aware. They're the first generation of autodidacts because they've taught themselves from the internet. All information is available to them. And some of that information is scary. But a lot of it is incredible. Like when we were growing up, we just had to listen to what our parents and our teachers said and we didn't have anything outside that. And they're teaching themselves about the environment going online and then they're teaching us yeah so I have great hope for this next generation yeah I feel the same way that it's taken me probably quite quite a long time during life to kind of pick up how I feel about things and unpack certain things that happen to you in your life and um, your place as a woman and becoming a mum and and then when you watch the young kids be able to stand up and fight for what they believe in so strongly when ultimately maybe we've been quite apathetic because mm. We had thought a lot of the job was done, maybe. Mm. 
Um, and then things flip, like Donald Trump becomes president, and <laughs> people say the things that they say on the mainstream media that you thought would never be said again. And it is encouraging that you see young girls and boys and women and men stepping up and completely doing the work maybe we should have done more of. <laughs> but I've I've pledged that I'm going to get involved in this year's election and actually help towards political change rather than absolutely doing great that. commitment. Another one that's a bit more of a, which I know you will have talked about before, and um, thank you very much for doing the audiobook of The Guilty Feminist, because again, when as a busy mum, it's really difficult to actually be able to sit down and read anything. Mm. So be able to have an audiobook on and listen whenever you get a chance, it's really good. So thanks very much for taking the time to record that for us. It was a delight. But what I wanted to ask you was, you know, it can be pretty scary to call people out on something inappropriate or find a way to tackle a problem directly with someone who has a conflicting opinion to you or might be being sort of openly aggressive to you about about that disagreement, um, especially with the online consequences, with trolling and all that kind of thing. How can um, we speak up about things that we believe in and protect ourselves and mental health at the same time? My advice is to build a bridge because once you've built a bridge, anyone can walk over it. So do your best to only engage with people who you think may be open to hearing your ideas. Mm -hmm. And if you think they're not, you are just burning fuel getting into a fight with somebody. There are so many people who are not online shouting ragefully about things and uh, not, not spouting hate. Lots of those people are kind and compassionate people but may not be politically engaged. I think it's so much more useful to politically engage someone who says, oh, I'm not sure that's for me, that looks sad or hard, or I don't really do politics, I'm not a political person, to win them over to show them that they could be involved and they could make the world a better place and there are things that they want to engage in than fighting with someone with, who has extreme polar views to you. Yeah. So build a bridge to somebody who's closer to you. That's what I would say. Can you say raise some money for a project like the aunties? So we had Jackie oh, yeah, from the great. aunties on the other night. Yeah, she's brilliant. And I got a commitment from everyone in the audience to raise some money, but do it in a way where you're engaging your community. So if you work for a big corporate organization, can you go to the people with the corporate responsibility money? Can you have uh, a trivia night and tell the, uh, your colleagues who you're raising this money for and why. Because they deal with people who are suffering from domestic violence, usually women and people of minority genders, but not always. And they're helping those people. So there will be people, if you work in a big corporation, who are also suffering in that way or knows someone or has, did in their childhood. And those people will have maybe carrying something they haven't let go or maybe in that situation and that will open a conversation for them even if it's it's only in their mind Mm -hmm. other people will go oh yeah I'd like to do something for them or yeah I'll chuck in a tenner for this or that and it might engage them politically or you might ask them what what cause are they passionate about and can we do can we do some kind of fundraising night here once a month at this corporation where we take turns saying, I'd like to do it for this or I'd like to do it for that. If you are in a freelance role, who who do you know? If you're in an arts role, can you put on a show? And to try and engage with people and ignite the politics of people whose politics might be lying dormant 
And I would say build that bridge rather than burning bridges. And um, thinking of Jackie from Aunties, when I was talking about self-education that I've had, she's one of the people online that has done that. Um, One of the really simple things that she's put across really well was the understanding of giving. When you're donating, you know, you're only donating good things. Mm. So there was that whole thing of, oh, you should just be grateful for what you get. Here's a bag of my Mm. old clothes. Be happy. Um, And they're very strict on, no, we want good stuff. We want nice stuff. If you're having this horrible time in your life... You, know, you don't want someone's we old want, pajamas with holes in them. Yeah, you want decent, clean, nice clothes, or bra- or even better, brand new. Um, and the same goes with food. You know, I think there was an article about people should be happy with tin tomatoes. When it's like, well, you've got to think about what you need to make tin tomatoes into a meal. And do these people have that facility? And, and yes, actually, Jackie says uh, New Zealanders are very generous but bad at giving. Yes, and so she said they're happy to come down and give you loads of stuff. But she said. Uh, and I'm not saying that, just to be clear. Uh, I'm not saying that at all. But but I I know what she means, and I, I'm sure it's true of British people as yep. well, and uh, Australians and people everywhere, that you think, oh, yes, I'd love to give. But you're not thinking, yes, if I was very vulnerable or marginalised, what would I like to be given? Yep. And if you're already feeling very low, you don't want to be given something that makes you feel like you're worth less. Uh, I do a lot of work with refugees in the UK, And it's the same deal. Sometimes things are given to refugees who are already living in a refugee camp that are fundamentally useless. Or people donate a bag with high heels in it and they're not thinking, well, you can't wear high heels in a refugee camp. It's muddy. Um, Somebody donated, when I was over there, a sexy bee costume. And (laughs) I said to the volunteers, what did you do with that? And one of them said, to be fair, I took it home. (laughs) And the other one said... The other one said, I think all bees are sexy because bees are saving the planet. What's sexier than that? And I was like, that is that is very much very much the attitude of a volunteer in a refugee camp. All bees are sexy, gang, because they're saving the world. Yeah, no, but that, that's something that she's really taught me is just that education. So we really need people like Jackie and yourself who will, you know, put themselves out there and, and helps actually just educate people because a lot of the time you just literally don't know what you don't know. And Exactly. And we have so many wonderful, wonderful women on the podcast who come on and share, educate. We've had some incredible uh, black and brown women come on and educate me as a white woman. I do pay to be fair I pay I pay it sounds like it sounds like please come and educate me <laughs> uh, we make sure we pay everyone well and that's something we you should remember if you are asking women of color to educate you pay them properly queer women disabled women trans women non-binary people who've come on the podcast and they really have taught us so much yeah and as you say you don't know what you don't know but it's it's on you to educate yourself it's not on people who are in marginalized positions to find you and educate you yeah so buy their books uh watch their shows seek out that kind of content and learn um that was one of my questions actually if um you had any kind of good reads if there are people that want to know a bit more about feminism and how it affects people from all walks of life i would say rennie yeddo lodges why i'm no longer talking to white people about race is great if you're trying to look at the intersection of race and gender. And I would also say Nikesh Shukla compiled an anthology called The Good Immigrant, and I found that very helpful as well. Uh, Also, Slay in Your Lane, the black girls, uh, it's like a black girl's Bible. That's phenomenal. Those, 
young women, Yomi and Elizabeth are fantastic. Uh, have a look at that. But there are so many wonderful books out there. If you go online and just have a look, look at what and look at what those people are recommending. Yeah, there are so many wonderful books out there now, and resources, and podcasts, and all sorts of things. Great. Final question is um, dream podcast guest who you've either one who you've already had you would love to have on again, or you know, dream one, dead or alive as well. Okay. Oh, dead or alive, Maya Angelou. Uh, Michelle Obama, Jacinda Ardern, <laughs> and Gloria Steinem, who I'm really hoping to have on because she came to my show in New York and was in the audience and then came backstage afterwards. And that was was so lovely because she was trying to get backstage, but the bouncers didn't know who she, wa- who she was. So one of my friends gave her his backstage pass because he was going, it's Gloria Steinem. And they were like, yeah, we don't know who that is. So he gave her his backstage pass and then we managed to get him as well. Of course, we went back out and got him. But I was like, can you believe could you imagine if Gloria Steinem would come to my podcast to my live show and she'd wanted to meet me and she'd been sent away so I was very grateful I mean the bouncers were only doing their jobs but because it it was a venue that's also a music venue uh, but I was like let Gloria Steinem back (laughs) well Deborah, thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat today it's been absolutely wonderful. Um, we can see the Guilty Feminist in Auckland again in June 2020. Well, we're hoping, we're Fingers very much crossed. hoping, but we normally come in February. We've been to Auckland three times now, and this last time we added Wellington and Christchurch in to make it a New Zealand tour. So we'd love to come back to New Zealand. The fans here are fantastic. The listeners of the podcast are fantastic. Everyone comes out in droves. Everyone brings a rock concert atmosphere. It's absolutely wonderful. We want to spend more time in New Zealand. Just had Grace Petrie with us, the, which is a protest oh, singer. She's brilliant, yeah. She's fantastic. And the audience lapped her up. And I said, you've got to come back here very soon. Yeah. Because they were screaming in the aisles, standing ovation in Wellington at an arena. And she went, I'm coming back as soon as possible. So also watch out for Grace Petrie. She'll be coming back with her own live tour show. And I will be coming back very soon. Watch out. Guiltyfeminist.com. You can follow us at guiltfempod on Twitter or the Guilty Feminist on Instagram. And we will let you know when we're coming. I'm also at dfdubs on Instagram or at deborahfw on Twitter. And you can subscribe to the podcast, The Guilty Feminist. And we're always updating with new cities. But I'm sure we'll be back this year or next year. So watch out for us. Thank you very much for having me, Ingrid. Thank you. It's been great to talk to you. There you go. That was my chat with Deborah Francis White that was recorded at the end of February after her tour of the Guilty Feminist podcast. And that was little Austin in the background providing some extra heckles. A big thank you to the Classic Comedy Club where we recorded the podcast. Please support the Classic and other live venues around New Zealand, um, helping everyone get back on their feet after the lockdown. Next week on the Keeping Up With NZ podcast, I'm interviewing Alex Lee, who is co-founder, co-director, trustee of the Documentary Edge Film Festival, which is happening in June, July, but going online this year. So I'll be having a chat with Alex about that. So for now, please like, subscribe, share, comment, tell your friends, your mother, your sister, your brother, and I'll be back next week. Bye.